Amen. Good morning, KCC. Bless the Lord. So yes, as you've already heard, <coughs> um, John was with us yesterday morning. For those of you that came, those men that came, much bacon was consumed. <laughs> and sausage and everything else. There was no mercy given. It was, um, it was a good morning. It was a good morning. John has a heart for raising up um, godly men. Men of God, men of character, men who are in love with Christ. And their, their goal is to, is to manifest, to reveal the nature and character of Christ. And I've known John for about 24, 25 years and it's always been the same pursuit. Never changed. That's John. But as, as we said, John had to go back unexpectedly, back to Folkestone. He got back last night. Um, and he said he'll come back again. I'm sure we'll have him again at some point. So, bless the Lord, today I'm going to talk to you about limits. Limits. Very often you see the, uh, the, the, the words on people's t-shirts, no limits. I'm listening to no limits. Mm -hmm. I'm going to talk about limits today. So let's open our Bibles in Romans chapter 14. <coughs> Romans chapter 14. I want to <coughs> continue to speak on the, the theme of unity. Last week we began to talk about unity. We talked about the fact that in our vision statement we declare that we are a worshipping community at the heart of King's Whitford, where every home is an expression of the kingdom and every believer a disciple of the king. That is our vision statement. Okay? It will do you well to learn that because that's what we want to be about and everything we do we want to be feeding into that vision. As we move forward, it's a journey, it's a process, but we're taking that journey step by step. So we are a worshipping community, a common unity. Okay, there is unity, but we have someone in common, and that someone in common is oh, Jesus, God, Jesus, absolutely. Praise the Lord. And yet, there is diversity, diversity in this community. There are diverse people from diverse backgrounds, with diverse thinking, and so on and so forth. And so sometimes that can pre present challenges to our unity. And that takes, demands something of us. It demands maturity, it demands wisdom, it demands love, it demands compromise sometimes. Okay? So we need to understand there is a bigger picture, there is something more important than just me. Is the unity of God's church. So, limits. We're going to read from Romans chapter 14. I'm going to read the whole chapter. Okay, I'll read from the New King James Version. In case you're wondering what's what you reading from. <clears throat> anyway, verse 1: Receive one who is weak in the faith, but not to dispute over doubtful things. For one believes he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats only vegetables. Let not him who eats despise him who does not eat, and let him let, let not him who does not eat judge him who eats, for God has received him. Who are you to judge another servant? To his own master he stands or falls. Indeed, he will be made to stand, for God is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day above another, another esteems every day alike. Let each be fully convinced in his own mind. 
He who observes the day observes it to the Lord, and he who does not observe the day to the Lord, he does not observe it. He who eats, eats to the Lord, for he gives God thanks. And he who does not eat to the Lord, he does not eat and gives God thanks. For none of us lives to himself, and none, no one dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and arose and lived again, that he might be Lord of both the dead and the living. For why do you judge your brother, and why do you show contempt for your brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then, each of us shall give account of himself to God. Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather resolve this, not to put a stumbling block or a cause to fall in our brother's way. <clears throat> and I know, and I'm convinced by the Lord Jesus, that there is nothing unclean of itself. But to him who considers anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. Verse 15. Yet if your brother is grieved because of your food, you are no longer walking in love. Do not destroy with your food the one for whom Christ died. Therefore do not let your good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. For he who serves Christ in these things is acceptable to God and approved by men. Therefore, let us pursue the things which make for peace and the things by which one may edify another. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All things indeed are pure, but it is evil for the man who eats with offence. It is good neither to eat meat, nor drink wine, nor do anything by which your brother stumbles or is offended or is made weak. Do you have faith? Have it to yourself before God. Happy is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves. For he who doubts is condemned if he eats, because he does not eat from faith, for whatever is not from faith is sin. I don't know about you, but we need the Holy Spirit this morning to illuminate that text to us, yes? Lord, we just ask for that illumination. We ask you, help us to understand the principles, Lord, that are in this text this morning, that you breathed, Lord, that you inspired, Lord, and Lord, that are so important for us as it was important for the Church of Rome 2,000 years ago. Lord, we open our hearts to be taught this morning. We open ourselves to change, the mindsets to be changed if need be. Lord, do your work as we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Praise God. Wow. <laughs> There's a lot to take in there, isn't it? And it's so important as we, as we approach this text. It's important to get an understanding of the, the context, as always. Remember, we've always said context, the background, is absolutely key to understanding what's been written. And the Church of Rome was another troubled church. And I would like to think of the early church as spotless, you know, and, and the early church had kept everything right. But as you read through the letters, you realise there were issues in the churches that needed to be addressed. And uh, again, just a bit of a historical background to the letter. In around the, the year AD 49, the Emperor Claudius, he had some problem with the Jews in Rome. And uh, he issued an edict to expel all the Jews 
both believing Jews, Christian Jews, and non-Christian Jews from Rome. Go, get out. Imagine. And so the, the church in Rome, that until that point was made up of Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians, like you and me, that, that, that's what it was made up. Suddenly, all of the Jews were expelled and the church became a predominantly Gentile church. And then that went on for some years and that, that edict was rescinded by the following emperor and then those Jews came back to Rome. But the church that they found in Rome was a very different character, of a very different character, the church that they left. And there were some attitudes that had developed towards the Jews. Some attitudes towards Israel and what God was doing with Israel that Paul had to address. And you see that he addresses them as he goes through, as you read through the letter to the Romans, and again, it's an awesome book to study, an awesome letter to study, full of deep theology, and you're like, goodness me, and people are disputing it until today. Well, then you get to, you get to about Romans 12, 13, 14, you start to see that he starts to, to, to work with, and starts to touch on ethics, how that theology works out. You know, theology is nothing if we don't live it out, if it doesn't produce something. And so this is one of the ways that Paul is applying everything that he's taught. He's applying everything he's taught. So he talks about, he says, receive one who is weak in the faith, but not to disputes over doubtful things. So it's most possible that some of these people, and we see from what we've just read, some of the people that he's referring to as weak in the faith, they were the Jewish believers who were still following some of the customs of the Jews from the Old Testament. Okay, so for them, for example, they would, they would see the Sabbath, Saturday. If you go to Israel today, you'll see the Messianic Jews, Jewish Christians. They meet on the Sabbath, on a Saturday. Usually on a Saturday night, the, the, the Messianic congregations get together. But we meet on a Sunday morning. Is it a big deal for you? Not a big deal for you, it is for some. And it was in those days. They would abstain from meat because they were concerned about the way that the meat, that the, the animal had been prepared. I won't use the word killed. <laughs> and prepared. So, so they were worried about these things. These things were an issue to these Jewish believers, but they weren't an issue to the Gentiles. So the Gentile believers was, were looking upon, oh, man, why are you coming up with all these silly scruples? You know, what, what are you doing? What are you playing at? There's freedom in Christ. Don't we, don't we sometimes encounter that same attitude in our churches today? Yes. And so where he says the weak in faith, he's most probably referring to those Jewish Christians. Yes, they believed in Jesus. But they felt that they needed to preserve certain customs and, 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 and teachings as being Jews, and it's the same today. It's the same today. If you go to Israel, you'll understand what I'm talking about. And so they're a weak in faith, not that they're, they're inferior to the Gentiles who are stronger in faith. Not in any way, my friends. But it's because they do not feel that their faith allowed them to do certain things, to act in a certain way. And I want you to hear the principle behind this. I want you to hear the principle behind this. Because we can apply this principle to so many different situations that are not clear to us. There are so many things that we come across today, disputable matters, 
He refers to it. Look again. Receive one who is weak in the faith, but not to disputes over doubtful things or disputable things. So let's just have a look at some of these, these principles. Number one, it talks to us about the limits of fellowship. The limits of fellowship, as we're talking about limits. What are the limits of our fellowship? Well, let me tell you something. It's not unity at all costs. When I preach about unity, we're not speaking about unity at all costs. Do you know that? Jesus is not seeking unity at all costs. It's unity in truth. There are times when we need to sacrifice unity for the sake of truth. But unfortunately what happens is very often truth gets sacrificed on the altar of unity. There are things, there are theological hills that we need to be prepared to die upon, if you know what I mean. So it's not division, it's not unity at all costs. Division is sometimes necessary. We are required to abide by apostolic teaching, by biblical truth. And we're living in days when things are being compromised. Things that should not be compromised are being compromised. And we're thinking, oh, Jesus just wants unity. No, he wants unity in truth. Please, please hold that. You read that as you read his high priestly prayer. He talks about being sanctified in truth. He talks about being united in love, but also sanctified in truth. Nevertheless, the truth is that not everything is black and white. Not everything's black and white. We like to think it is sometimes, don't we? But not everything is black and white. The Bible doesn't, it's not a, a, a guidebook to give us you know, instructions on every single issue that we will find, we will go through. It gives us general principles very often, ethical principles and so on, that we need to learn to apply to different types of situations. Okay, so not everything's black and white, and the limits of fellowship are often much broader than we like to think they are. So they're not limitless, but they're often broader than what we like to think they are. You know, we, we fall out with others over the silliest of things. We cut ourselves off from others over the silliest of issues. What are the limits of this, of this fellowship? He says, again, once again, he says, Receive one who is weak in the faith, but not to disputes over doubtful things. In the NIV it says this, Accept the one whose faith is weak without quarrelling over disputable matters. So let's talk about what some of those disputable matters might look like today. And some of you might get all upset as I say these things, but I'm going to put them over as disputable matters. Okay, please listen to what the scriptures are teaching us. But things like, should Christians abstain from alcohol? Some of you say, well, of course not. Why does he teach that? But others will say, of course, how can you be a Christian and be drinking? That's the kind of issue you're gonna come across today. Those are the kinds of things that divide and divisive in the body of Christ today. People got strong opinions on both sides. Yes. Should Christians, listening and dancing to certain types of secular music. I mean, I've got to be honest, I have a difficulty like with the discos. You don't want to see me dancing. I don't want to see me dancing. But you 
know, for me, that was my life BC before Christ. Now, other people don't have an issue. They'll get up and go and have a dance or whatever. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah. Well, I'm looking around and saying, What's going to come out? I've chosen to make again. We've just talked about, somebody came to me the other day and they were talking about a church who's, they're moving, um, what's it there? About the Sabbath, the Sabbath. You know, shouldn't, the Sabbath's not about a Sunday and the church has changed the Sunday to be the new Sabbath and so on and getting all upset about that particular issue. So again, another issue, should Christians worship on a Saturday or a Sunday or does it even matter? We should worship all the time, every day. That's exactly what I'm trying to do. That's exactly what they came around with. But some people are just not satisfied with that because they're conviction, because they're conscience. Do you understand, friends? We're talking about disputable matters. We're not talking about whether Christ is God or not. If somebody comes to you and does not believe in the deity of Jesus Christ, friends, he's not a brother in Christ. Do you understand that? There are things that are disputable. There are matters that are disputable. There are things that are non-negotiable. Non-negotiable. And what we do sometimes is we confuse them. And the things that are non-essential become essential. And the things that are essential become non-essential. The teachings and so on. And we get all kinds of problems in the body because of that. You know, one of my biggest lessons in this area was when I was out in Brazil. I just can testify to this. And I've been... I've got a very, very good friend who's remained a brother. I call him a brother, you know? And this guy, he helped me so much when I went to Brazil. He was part of a, a, a very traditional church, just to give you an idea. Is Susie in or is out? She's a congregation, a Christian congregation of Brazil. That's the name of the church. So to give you an idea, it's all, they've got an orchestra. You know, nothing on the orchestra. Can you imagine us having an orchestra? That one. And they would play everything from hymn books. The men and the women sat separately. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. I'm looking at some faces. The women and the women, the women sat, sat separately. The women had to use veils, literally had to use veils. You know, they're dressed in a certain way. When they greet one another, it was with the peace of God. Every other, all the other evangelical Christians greet one another with the peace of the Lord. Okay, but but for them it's the peace of God. When they would pray, they would kneel to pray and so on. And my immediate reaction when I was there to know these people is what religious. Anybody felt that before when you encountered this one? Religious, religious, or religiosity. Friends, who was I? Who are we to think that these people are just religious? We would cry out these judgments because they're not rolling around on the floor and stuff, and you know, freeing the spirit. We throw out these things. And saying, oh, then, you know, this religious, goodness me, God over my eyes, friends. This man, every time he spoke about Jesus, well, with, with tears in his eyes. He loves the Lord. Until today, he loves the Lord passionately, dearly. They invited me to their services, and I went to the service. And like I said in the beginning, I was just, I was like, I'm not going to, I'm going to show my freedom, I'm going to show. You know, I'm going to show you can pray, if so, no matter what, how you sit down there. The Lord corrected me and says, no, when you're with them, you're going to be in that and you're going to pray to them. And you're going to pray, I can't remember, they every, they start the prayer in a certain way, end in a certain way. You're going to do what I do. And you, when you greet them, you're going to greet them with the peace of God. There is even the holy kiss, which is the holy kiss on the cheek. Okay? Now that was a bit of a 
challenge for me. You're going to do what they do. You're not going to offend him. You're going to show him true freedom. You see, I wanted to show him my idea of freedom. God was going to show him what real freedom was. As I started to do that, he was quite taken aback. I noticed as we started to meet and, and, and he brought the elders in from the church, the elders were praying for my salvation. <laughs> I used to hear it sometimes, you know. And he took, they took me to a, they used to have an open baptism service, so it's very beautiful, guys. So you'd sit there and like they'd open the baptismal tank and people would just come, they'd preach the gospel, people would just come and be baptized. That's, that's how they do it. And I think he was hoping he was waiting for me to get up <laughs> Anyway, I wasn't looking that far. There are limits on There are limits. But I just saw the Holy Spirit began to work in this man. I saw the Holy Spirit began to work in this man. And we had some ups and downs. We had to have some conversations, you know, some dreams he had and so on. But I just remember, as, as, as time went by, how God changed this man's heart. And I remember how he came to me just before he was going on missions to India. And he says to me, he says, Rob, I'm going to India, but I'm not going to represent the congregation, Christian congregation in Brazil. I'm going to represent Jesus. God completely changed his, his, his outlook. You understand his view. And I just wonder, if I stood my ground and started doing things just to, you know, show, show him my freedom, my idea of freedom, I wonder if we'd have actually got to that place. Probably not. Probably not, friends. You see, the thing was, for him, the things weren't, that weren't a big deal to me, they were a big deal to him. And this is what we're talking about here. This is what we're talking about here. So, how do we establish what is acceptable? The second limit that we've encountered this morning is the limit of conscience. The limit of conscience. Well, the limits of fellowship is usually much broader than we like it to be. We like to think it is. But the limits of conscience. Conscience is so important, friends. God has given you a conscience. Isn't that wonderful? You've got a moral conscience. You've got a moral compass. Praise the Lord. Conscience is key in our relationship with God. 1 John 3 verse 21 says, Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And you could just as easily say, if our conscience does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. In other words, your conscience is so significant, it can affect the way that you relate to God. Think about the Garden of Eden. Think about how Adam and Eve, how they responded when suddenly their conscience had been sealed. Because of sin. What did they do? Drove them away. Drove them to hide themselves. When we mess up, when we get it wrong, when we sin, what, what happens? Where does it weigh? On your conscience. Your heart, of course. But it's all about the same thing, friends. You've got a heavy conscience. You feel bad about yourself. You feel guilty. That's where you need to receive the forgiveness of the Lord Jesus Christ. You need to trust in the word of God that says he's able to cleanse our conscience. Yes? We need to believe that. Anyway, Hebrews 10 verse 22 says, Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from our guilty conscience. Guilty conscience. And having our bodies washed with pure water. The conscience is so important as we draw near to God. We've got to have a, a guilt-free conscience. 
And only the blood of Christ can wash your conscience, to give you that cleansing, that purifying. And you know the forgiveness that is in Jesus. So our conscience is key in our relationship to, with God. Secondly, our conduct must be guided by our conscience. Our conduct must be guided by our conscience. He says, Paul says here, for one believes he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats only vegetables. Why? Because their conscience does not allow them, they do not feel their faith, the way they express their faith, allows them to partake of meat. Why? Because maybe that meat was not killed in the way that the Torah says it should be prepared. Do you understand, friends? Can you see where we're going? So their conscience was not clear about it. One believes he made all things. He was weak and eats only vegetables. I remember somebody who drink Pepsi. Because Pepsi was of the devil. <laughs> I remember when you talked to the person. Do you remember that? Some years ago. Coke. I think it was, was it Coke. It might have been Coke or Pepsi. One of them two. Goodness gracious, drink gallons of it in Brazil. <laughs> anyway. You know, sometimes, and about you, sometimes there are no deep explanations as to why. There are no deep explanations as to why, but we just do not feel comfortable about doing certain things that others feel free to do. You surely you can identify what I'm saying. Sometimes you've been in a situation and you see a Christian brother who you love and you trust, and maybe you look up to, and then they do something. I'm not talking about sin, folks. I'm talking about disputable matters, yes? Things that are not clear in the scriptures. They do something and it just doesn't sit right with you. And you think, you know, I, I don't feel that I could do that. I don't feel right about that. Yes. Then you need to be led by your conscience. Maybe you won't find an explanation. Maybe there is no deep explanation why, but you need to be led by your conscience. Even though your brother feels that his conscience is okay about it. So important. The faith of some allows them to do certain things that the faith of others do not. Does not. Hallelujah. So in the case of the Roman belief, we're reading here, is the consumption of certain foods and drink was the case as well as the observance of holy days, certain days that they would, they would uh, um, sanctify, you know, keep these days. And then for others, okay, every day is the same. What do you think all we're talking about? Jesus has died on the cross. Is the fulfillment of all these shadows. Okay, praise God. Praise God for that. I believe that too. What my brother who's not quite there yet? Who hasn't fully understood that yet? How do we treat our brother and sister in that situation? Hallelujah. Friends, the thing about conscience is that conscience is to be respected. Conscience is to be respected. Verse 4 of chapter 14, Paul says this, Who are you to judge someone else's servant? Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To their own master, servants stand or fall, and they will stand, for the Lord is able to make them stand. In other words, don't get yourself all caught up, caught up with things that do not concern you. They will give an account to Christ, just as you will give an account to Christ. Over these things, friends. The ultimate judge is Christ. We should all give an account to him for the way we have lived. 
Conscience is not to be ridiculed. Sometimes you have to learn that the hard way. We upset people. We get upset by people. People who feel the freedom to do things and try to impose that freedom upon us, and yet our conscience doesn't feel right about it. You know, we've got people who take words like this and say they're just weak in faith. Just like the Bible says you're weak in faith and then we offend our brother or sister because we, we, we just, we're just challenging them in their conscience. They're not feeling right about them. We, we, we put a tag on them. Oh, they're weak in faith. Are you with me? Praise God. Something to think about here. Friends, thirdly, we see the limits of freedom. The limits of fellowship, the limits of conscience, the limits of freedom. Now there's something I want to draw your attention to here. Faith brings freedom. Faith brings freedom. Verse 14, what does Paul say? I know and I'm convinced by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself. This is Paul, the Jew, who had an encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ. He may abandoned his Jewishness, didn't stop being a Jew. But he says, what does he say? I know, and I'm convinced by the Lord Jesus, there is nothing unclean of itself. Just find it here. I have, I don't know, I test my way, I do need glasses. And they're coming. They will come. But listen to this, verse 14. I know and I'm convinced by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself. But to him who considers anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. To him it is unclean. Now let's just change the word in there slightly. You know? I'm free to do what I feel is right. You know, what my conscience allows me to do. But if my brother doesn't feel free, then for him, he's not free. Does that make sense? He's not free. He's not free. Verse 17, Paul says again, For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. And again, we need to be careful what we do with things like that. Because we can use that and again try to impose our freedom, our freedom of our conscience on others. Can't we? Oh, you see, the kingdom of God has nothing to do with you know, what you eat, what you don't eat. Well, that's not, I believe, what it's talking about. It's saying there's something more important, my friends, than what you feel free to do and what you don't feel free not to do. You feel, uh, you know, feel free not to do or whatever. And don't feel free to do. Praise the Lord. Put me into knots. Okay. So, praise God. We know, we see, faith really does bring freedom. But people are at different points. They're at different points on their journey. Aren't they? They're at different points on their journey. How do we relate to these people? How do we relate to people? What do we do? How do we conduct ourselves? Friends, it's not a sign of maturity to flaunt our freedom before others. It's a sign of pride and it can be destructive. It's a sign of pride and it can be destructive. What do you mean, Rob? Let's look at verse 20, 21. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All food is clean, but it is wrong for a person to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble. It is better not to eat meat or drink wine or to do anything else that will cause
cause your brother or sister to fall. So let's just bring that forward and let's think about some of the things we've said. So you know your brother has a problem with alcohol. You know, my brother has a problem with alcohol addiction. But that he does not feel fully convinced that we should be drinking. But you've decided I'm going to go and have a drink in front, you're going to see it, don't bother me. And you go and have your drink before him, and you, you know, he probably won't sit there and doesn't say anything, but his conscience is seeing, there's something not right, I can't do that. And then you encourage that person, come on, you know, leave that behind, let all that be shadows and substances and all this, bit. shadows and types, and, you understand? And you, you, have, you have that drink before him, and what you're doing is you're searing his conscience, you're messing with his conscience. And then for, let's just say, he, he decides that, okay, I'm, I'm going to do it. But his conscience is not right about it. You're destroying the work of God because of your freedom. Do you understand? There are limits to that. We are free. Praise God, but there are limits. There are limits. Verse 23 says, He, he who doubts is condemned if he is. Because he does not eat from faith, or whatever is not from faith is sin. You might be awkward sitting there, you know, having your, having your drink and so on, but if your brother is offended by that, is sitting there, you're trying to impose your freedom upon him, and he does it, he's condemning himself because he hasn't got the freedom in his conscience, he hasn't got the faith to do it. Boasting. Oh, amen. Praise God. Boasting. I just want to say as well, we'll, we'll get there in a moment. We'll get there in a moment. Talking about other boasting. Anyway, pride, destructive. Friend. Our freedom must be limited, listen to this, by the conscience of others. Our freedom, when we're with others, must be limited by the conscience of others. It's not our own conscience, it's the conscience of others. We don't live for ourselves. We live firstly for Christ, but also for, our, for others, for our brother and our sister. Paul establishes the limit, a limit that really is set by the conscience of others. Not that they control us with their desires, but that we choose to respect their limits. We choose to respect their conscience. It says verse 7, for none of us lives for ourselves alone, and none of us dies for ourselves alone. Praise God. Praise God. What you do, the way you conduct yourself, has an effect on others. Your freedom, your faith, the way you express your faith can have a positive effect on others and can also have a negative effect on others. And I'll tell you, you may be looking, well, I can't really relate to all of this. Let me tell you, friends, there are things that God has had to change in me. There are things that I will do today because I feel free to do that I didn't feel free to do earlier on in my walk with Christ. Things change. And God is very patient. We're not. But God is very patient. And He has His means and His ways to teach us and to show us and to bring us into deeper levels of freedom, of faith. You see, what we're talking about this morning is the Spirit of Christ. Christ. It's all about coming to reveal that life, the heavenly life. Yes. This is the heavenly life we're talking about where, where we're considering others above ourselves. Where we're considering the conscience of others above ourselves. Where we're not looking to put up 
make ourselves into a stumbling block for anyone. We're not flaunting our freedom that's going to cause our brother to fall, even though we can't see or can't get inside their head and understand why not. But that we respect, or that we realise that, you know, their conscience and their well-being spiritually is more important than my freedom and my rights. Does that make sense? Praise God. That's the spirit of Christ, friends. That's the, as we say here, the law of liberty, the law of love. That's how we express our faith and our love in the community of God. And I really believe if we were to apply these principles more to some of the disputable matters that, that exist in church, we wouldn't see the divisions and the destruction that we so often see within church, within relationships. about you, but this is important stuff, friends. We're talking about the unity of God's church. I said it last week, remember, so often the enemy will use our immaturity, the immaturity of our character to bring destruction, to bring divisiveness into the body of Christ. We need to seek wisdom, we need to seek maturity of character, and I believe there is wisdom in this. Amen. Praise God. What we've seen this morning, we've seen the limits of fellowship. We've seen the limits of conscience. And we've seen the limits of freedom. What do we conclude? One, God's people, God's people, are all at different places in their walk with Him. Faith is expressed in different ways, friends. Faith is expressed in different ways. Some of us are stronger. Some of us are weaker. I'm not talking about superiority or inferiority. We're talking about being different places. Yes? Secondly, we need to let live to edify one another. To build one another. It's not just about you anymore. Or me anymore. Or my experience of what we've got. Because we're part of a community. A worshipping community. And it's going to take, you know, some work on our behalf. To, to be able to, to maintain that unity. Remember last week the final point was endeavour, we were talking about endeavouring to maintain the, the, the unity of the spirit. Yeah? And it talked about putting up, putting up with one another. Putting up with my goodness me. Putting up with one as well. Finally, let's remember the ultimate judge is Christ. The ultimate judge is Christ. Amen. Who are we? Who am I? To point at somebody because of their scruples. Who am I to say? Religious. Just religious. You know? Let me, let, me, let, me, let me just address this. Let me address this. Let's stop with this talk that people who have got some kind of order and structure in their churches are in some way just religious. You know? Bound by religion. Who are we to think that the Spirit of God will not move in such places because they've got certain ways of doing things? Because they're sick from hymn books. You know? Or because of the men who really sit on the opposite side of the church. Or they do, just do certain things in a traditional way. Who are we to think the Holy Spirit of God would restrict himself to Pentecostal churches? No, but we are 
way sometimes. Yes, I'm sure that you know some people need an infilling and a, and a, a move of the Spirit of God. But in our small minds, and I'm speaking out of experience, friends, I had to learn this lesson myself. For so quick to look at other churches, we've got some kind of traditions. You know, because we're, we're free in the Spirit, in the Spirit, whatever that means. And we can be so quick to criticize others and, and, and bring and, and, and this arrogance. Amen. I love you, right? Praise God. Praise God is not restricted to the way we do things or the way others do things. Praise God is on the move. Amen. I'm sure this opens many other questions for you today. I'm sure you can go away and this will bring many questions. You know, we're talking about general principles here. And that's good. Go away to think about it. Think about how it applies to you. How does this apply to you and things that you're going through and people that you know? Father, we just want to say thank you. Lord, thank you for the, the principles in your word that you've given to us, Father. Give us the wisdom, not just to understand them, but to apply them. Lord, we thank you for part of a community. A community. Lord, a common unity. Lord, that we have, we have Christ in common. And Lord, you are zealous over that unity. It's not unity at all, God, but you're zealous over that unity. Father, help us to be mature. Help us to, to love our brothers and our sisters. Not to be arrogant, proud, boastful, Lord, in how we express our faith and our Lord, to love and to respect one another. Lord, that you might be glorified, we pray. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. It may be, we're going to worship the Lord, but it may be, you know, that you're carrying in your heart offensive words that have been spoken. And, you know, you know I'm talking about this morning, where you face difficult situations, you've been in these kinds of situations, people have said things that have hurt you. But down inside your heart, you didn't, you didn't feel freedom. And you, you, you know, there's division that's happened. Relationships have broken up over the things, these beautiful matters and so on. I want to say, we're going to worship the Lord. But at the end of the service, I'm going to invite you to come forward and we can pray at the front. We need to pray. Don't hold on to these things. Okay? Whatever you do, do not hold on to offenses, God. It's the bait of Satan. If you've read the book, get the book. Bite of Satan. Yes? Praise God.